Brothers and sisters, please turn in your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to consider uh, verses 7 through 16 tonight and and really try to zero in on verses uh, 11 and 12. Uh, If you've been with us the last two Sundays, you know that we're in a a series right now, a five-week series on the purposes of the church. And uh, we are seeking to ascertain, discern from the Scriptures what it is that God intends for His church, what is to be the purpose of the church's existence and ministry in the world. And uh, the first week in this series, we considered the subject of corporate worship, the public worship of God. And uh, I sought to convey on that message that from the very beginning, one of the purposes that God has had for His people, uh, Israel in the Old Covenant, the church now in the New Covenant, is the promotion of the worship of God. And one of the reasons uh, we would exist as the church is to emphasize the gathered worship of God uh, and fulfilling one of the major purposes of the church. And then the following week, last week, we considered the proclamation of the gospel as one of the things that is most essential to the very identity of the church, that, that if the church is to be the church, they must be that agent, that entity that proclaims the gospel throughout the world and that the church is... Uh, the means by which God seeks to advance His gospel into the world, convert the lost, and to draw disciples into the community of the church. So we considered uh, corporate worship, gathered worship. The second week we considered the proclamation of the gospel. Now this third week in our series on the purposes of the church, we'd like to consider the subject of the edification of the saints. At least that would be the rendering of of, of older versions of the Bible. Uh, The version you have might read the equipping of the saints. We want to consider uh, what it means for the church to actually uh, disciple men and women, to help them grow in their faith. So we're not talking now about making converts, we're talking about making disciples. And I'm, I'm going to argue from Ephesians 4 that one of the reasons the church exists is that God's people, upon being converted and born again, they should be brought into the church, and it's in that context... In the context of the gathered church with God-ordained pastors that are given by Christ Himself, that they're to grow, and they're to mature in the faith, and they're to uh, uh, have a deepening understanding of God's Word and God's intentions and desires for those who would follow Him and be discipled. To do that, I've turned us to Ephesians chapter 4. There are a number of texts we can look to that advance this point, perhaps none so comprehensive, uh, none so eloquent, none so direct as Ephesians chapter 4. Let me ask that we read again Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16 together. And I just ask that you keep in mind that tonight, the emphasis of this sermon is on the equipping of believers, on the edification of the saints. Please follow along as I read verses 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and here it is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up 
in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I have four points I want to convey from this text. I hope that uh, they flow logically, and I hope that you see they rise uh, right out of Ephesians chapter 4. Four points I want to convey tonight, and they're, they're fairly simple. Uh, the first is this. Uh, Christ gives leaders. Christ gives leaders. Uh, secondly, leaders equip believers. Leaders equip believers. Christ gives leaders. Leaders equip believers. Then thirdly, believers serve the body. Believers serve the body. And then fourthly, we come full circle. And that is that the body grows into Christ, which comes directly out of verse 15. Christ gives leaders. Leaders equip believers. Believers serve the body. And the body grows into Christ. So let's consider first, Christ gives leaders. Let's look again at verses 7 through 11. Uh, For the sake of time, there are some interesting... uh, uh, textual issues, exegetical issues that I'm not going to be able to really uncover. I really want to zero in on verses 7 uh, through 11, or 7 and 11, under this heading of Christ giving leaders. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now skip down to verse 11. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now I'm arguing from this text. That the Lord Christ Himself gives leaders to His church. There are a number of other passages that talk about spiritual gifts that are given, that are given to every member of the body of Christ, whether they're pastors or not. Every member, if you're a Christian here today, you have been given spiritual gifts by Christ Himself. And those gifts are to be used to edify the body of Christ. But the emphasis of Ephesians 4 is not on gifts that are given to everyone necessarily. The emphasis is on the leaders themselves who are given to the church as gifts from Christ. It is Christ who gives these leaders. And the leaders are listed for us in verse 11. And he gave, first of all, the apostles, then the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I can't explain in detail what each one of these offices is. I'll just give you kind of a thumbnail sketch. Based on what Paul has talked about earlier in Ephesians, uh, which, which I know we've not read together, you'll have to take my word for it, or go back and, and read through uh, the epistle yourself. Uh, when Paul refers to apostles, he's referring to those unique officers who were sent out by Christ himself, who had witnessed the risen Lord and had uh, special endowments of gifts and graces and were filled with the Spirit and actually, in some cases, wrote Scripture. These are the apostles who were uniquely sent by God into the world to lead the church in those early days. And we believe this is an office that no longer exists, at least in a formal sense. That those apostles were those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ and in a unique way ministered to the church in those early days. And they're the prophets. Those those men who were given by God in an authoritative way prophesied. I think that Paul probably has in mind prophets of the Old Testament and those prophets that were in the early church. Those who spoke in an authoritative way, a declarative way, words from God. And we would understand, at least in a, in a formal sense, this office too has ceased. Uh, there, are, there are no prophets now who come and give us new revelation. Though, though there are those who might speak a prophetic word in the sense that they speak God's word and they're given insight into God's word to communicate that to God's people. But the sort of prophets that Paul is talking about are no longer in existence. They're recorded for us in the word of God. And then you have those evangelists. 
I believe we're to understand these evangelists as those who in a pronounced way had gifts to evangelize uh, lost people in those early days of the church. And I believe there are still some today who have very special gifts from Christ Himself to evangelize in, in, a, in, in significant ways. Now we're all called, brothers and sisters, to be witnesses, to be ambassadors, to evangelize in whatever capacity is available to us. But I think Paul has in mind not just sort of every believer in the sense that we're all to evangelize, but those who have special gifts given by Christ. And then it goes on to list shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers. And uh, many of you have been in churches where there were pastors, there were those who taught the Word of God. This is an office that continues to this day. And Paul says that these pastors, these shepherds, uh, these teachers are gifts from Christ to His church. Christ gives leaders. There's a few, few thoughts I want you to see here, okay? The first is this. True leaders in the church, true leaders in the church are to be seen as gifts from Christ Himself. True leaders in the church are to be seen as gifts from Christ Himself. They're to be seen as blessings from God. They're to be seen as Christ's provision for His church. They're to be seen as gifts Pastors and teachers, true pastors and teachers who are given to the church, they are gifts from Christ Himself meant to bless us, meant to help us. And yet so often, brothers and sisters, uh, we don't necessarily see pastors and teachers as gifts from Christ. In our experience, we don't experience them as gifts. And I think there's a host of reasons for this. One of them, uh, in the world today, I think, is that many of those who lead in churches... Those who assume the name of pastor or teacher are not actually called by Christ. Hmm. Uh, somehow they got into that office and they're leading the church, but it could be an actual fact that they're not called by Christ. In some cases, regrettably, sadly, they're bad men. In some cases, they're perfectly good men who just were not called to the office of pastor or teacher. And for this reason, I think Christians in the world experience bad leadership of uh, men who have the name pastor attached to their name, and they assume that pastors aren't necessarily gifts from Christ. They don't view them as gifts. They don't view them as blessings because they've experienced uh, bad leadership. Well, I hope that's not true. I hope you've been spared that, that, that hardship, uh, that sorrow uh, in your life. But if you have experienced that, let me encourage you, don't let that sour your heart uh, toward true leadership. True shepherds after God's own heart who are given to His church by Christ. They're intended, when they're truly called, when they are given by Christ, they're intended to be gifts. They're intended to be good for the people of God. They're given to equip the saints. And we should see true pastors and teachers, true leaders of His church, as gifts from Christ Himself. Another reason I think that leaders are so often uh, not seen as gifts is that leaders are imperfect and they sometimes fail us. That's true. There are no perfect leaders. Even those who are truly given by Christ to His church will sometimes fail us. Uh, They'll let us down. And it's very easy when a pastor fails you, a leader fails you to assume, you know what, there's something wrong here. Uh, Christ is is not involved in this situation. Christ's blessing is not on that man. Well, I hope you don't set unrealistic expectations for your pastors. Pastors can fail. They're men at best. And uh, they can fail us uh, in certain ways. They're imperfect. They have remaining sin. And if we see remaining sin in a leader, we should not necessarily conclude that this isn't a true leader, this isn't a true pastor given by Christ. Even those men who are given by Christ to bless the body of Christ are not going to be perfect men. Uh, They're going to be fallible men. 
but hopefully men who are called and given to us by the Lord. Another reason might be that in our current social context, I think a lot of folks uh, just chafe under authority. I mean, how can an authority figure, someone who has some sort of authority uh, to, to exercise leadership, how could that ever be construed as a blessing? I hope that none of us think that. Uh, leadership in the Bible, all throughout Scripture, authority is seen as a good thing. It's a blessing from God. Uh, you children, that you have parents who are in authority over you. That's a kind gift from God's hand. That's good authority. I hope you don't chafe under that or, 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 or feel that that's somehow bad or something that, 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 that isn't right. God does want there to be authority in your life, kids. God, God has given you parents as a gift to you. Uh, God has given us government that, that is intended, at least, uh, to be a gift to us. And sometimes, of course, that is not the case. But we should be very thankful in God's kindness. Our government has been a gift to us. That authority structure that is in place has been a blessing uh, to the church. Well, it's no different in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, God gives authority, leadership as a gift to the church. He calls men out of the congregation and endows them with the graces and gifts they need to lead the body of Christ. And that is a kindness from God. If we didn't have leaders, if we didn't have pastors, if we didn't have true shepherds, the body of Christ would be in utter anarchy. Uh, We would be that much more liable to division and to strife and to heresy and to false doctrine. Pastors, leaders in the church are a gift from Christ. We as God's people... Should view our leaders, should the Lord form us into the church and be so kind as to give us leaders, we should view our leaders as gifts from Christ for the good of our souls and for the building up of the church. Brothers and sisters, don't be confused. Uh, It's the leaders themselves that are the gifts. Pastors, people, flesh and blood people are gifts to the church. It's not just, well, when they're on my good side, or when they preach a good sermon, they're a gift. No, no, no. The men themselves, those who are called by God to lead the church, they are gifts to His church. If you have pastors in your lives, I know some of you are are parts of other churches. I hope that you let your pastors know that. I receive you as a gift from Christ, and you have been a gift from Him. You've been a blessing to me in my life. If you have pastors in your past who have edified you and blessed you, let them know that. You have been Christ's gift to me. You have been a blessing to me, and I've received that from Christ Himself as a gift from His very own hand. I've received you as my pastor, a gift from Christ. Leaders of the church are gifts when we disagree with them. They are gifts when they say things that are hard for us to hear. They're still gifts when they preach on subjects that make us uncomfortable. They're still gifts to us even when they fail us. And all leaders do fail in some way or another. God gives leaders to His church as gifts. But also I want you to see under this major heading of Christ giving leaders, that the authority of true leaders is in large measure attached to their God-given calling and ability to proclaim, expound, and teach the Word of God. Think of that list again, the apostles, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. What's the golden thread that unites those three offices? Well, it's that they have some measure of God-given ability to bring the Word of God to people. And so the authority that, that pastors have is not that they're really charismatic, It's not that they're uh, really, really smart. It's not because they've graduated from seminary. Uh, It's not because they have uh, all the right uh, words and phrases and they can really spin a sermon together. That's not why they have authority. They have authority because uh, they've been given uh, ability, grace, gifts from God to open up the Bible. Their authority is not in their own words. Their authority is in thus says the Lord. 
Their authority is their ability to take the people of God, the sheep of Christ, and to bring them to the Word. And to feed them there. And to open it up to them and, and to draw out insights of God's Word in a, a special and gifted way. Their authority is never in their own. Any pastor who says to you, any leader who says to you, uh, uh, I'm right because I said so. Uh, uh, we're going to do this because, because I'm the man of God. I know I have no warrant in the Bible, but I'm the man of God, I'm the pastor, and I'm going to set the policy here. You need to run from a guy like that. Mm. And Emmanuel Church, I'll tell you, if we ever nominate a leader like that, you, you, you have my permission to storm the stage and to, and to root a guy like that out. Uh, the authority of pastors, the authority of leaders is always rooted in the Word of God. It's always rooted in God's Word. And when a man called of God, given to the church comes to the Scriptures and says, Thus says the Lord, we should receive that from Christ Himself. Uh, But also notice that their gifts and abilities are given by Christ for a purpose. They're not just given so that they can sort sort of show off these gifts and promote their abilities. They're given for a purpose. And in this text, it's to equip believers. And that leads me to the second point here. We've seen first that Christ gives leaders. Secondly, leaders equip believers. Look at verse 11 with me. Verses 11 and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. Why does Christ give leaders to His church? It's not so that they could promote themselves. It's not so that they could show off their gifts. It's not so that they can draw massive crowds who would admire them. It's not so that they would wield a political power or, or start a revolution. It's not so that they would have a, a platform from which to raise money. The reason that God gives gifts to leaders, the reason He gives them to the church is for a very important purpose. It's so that they would equip the people of God. It's so that they would edify the saints. It's so that they would build up the body of Christ. Leaders are given to the church to equip believers. You kids here, uh, if, if, if your mom or dad, uh, maybe you have chores at home that you do, uh, if they gave you a broom, handed you a broom, what would you think they're, they're going to expect you to do? What's the broom for? Any of you kids, kind of shout that out. What would you use a broom for? To sweep, right? right? If, if, if your mom or your daddy gave you a broom, it would be for a reason. That broom is for you to sweep and to do your chores. They gave you a vacuum. Uh, the reason you've been given that vacuum is so that you could actually vacuum the floor. If you took that broom and uh, started brushing your teeth with it, that would be strange, right? That'd be the wrong way to use a broom. Uh, if you took that broom, and I hope you don't do this, whack your brother and sister with it, that would be a bad way to use a broom, okay? Well, just as a broom is for sweeping, uh, leaders in the church, pastors in the church, are for helping people. Helping them grow as Christians. Helping them to grow in their knowledge of the Bible. That's why God gives pastors. And so when you see pastors stand up in front of the church and lead the church and, and preach to the church, you should know that's a gift from God. And what they're doing is they're trying to help Christians and they're trying to train them and, and, and to grow disciples to be more like the Lord Jesus. That's why God gives leaders to His church. There's an interesting question. Uh, that emerges if you read Ephesians 4.12 in a variety of translations. I, I use the ESV when, when we read publicly here at Emmanuel Church. Uh, some translations read something like this. If you have the old King James, it'll read something like this. Uh, verse 12, it says that, verse 11 says, He gave the apostles, prophets, etc. Verse 12, it'll read, For the equipping of the saints, comma, 
for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. For the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, that's the second thing, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. KJV has it that way. The, I think the author, the ASV has it that way. Some translations, some of the newer translations, such as the New King James, ESV, NIV, NASB, read something like this. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and then there's a comma. For the building up of the body of Christ. For the equipping of the saints, no comma there. For the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ. You see the difference. In some, there's a comma after saints. Now, am I really going to argue that a small comma makes a huge difference in this text? Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to argue. Makes a big difference, okay? Question is basically this. Uh, is Christ giving leaders to the church that they would perform three functions or two? Another way we could ask the question is, of the three functions in this text, text the equipping of the saints, the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, of the three functions in this text, how many are leaders to perform and how many are the saints themselves, the believers themselves, to perform? Are leaders supposed to equip the saints and do the work of ministry Build up the body of Christ, or are leaders to equip the saints so that the saints will do the work of ministry so that both groups together will build up the body of Christ? Which one is it? I think the answer is the latter. It is that leaders are to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of ministry and so that both groups together can build up the body of Christ. There are a number of reasons for thinking so. There are some very boring Greek reasons for thinking so. They have to do with a change of preposition between the first clause and the second two clauses. You take my word for it, or I can give you some really, really good commentaries there on the, on the Greek reasons. But there are also contextual reasons. Verse 7 refers to grace being given to each one according to Christ's gift. So there is something of an every member ministry, grace given to, to every member. Verse 16, which we'll see in a moment, speaks of the role that every joint and each part plays in the building up of the body. The idea is this. Leaders are equipping believers so that believers will be prepared. They'll be equipped to serve the body of Christ. That's the purpose there. And both groups together, through the leaders equipping the saints, through the saints serving the body, the church is to be built up. It's not as though everything is to be done by the pastor. He's to uh, be over every ministry, and, and if anything's going to get done around here, it's the leaders of the church that will do that. No, a good pastor is going to preach and teach and disciple and shepherd in such a way that the saints themselves will be equipped, and then the saints will minister to the body of Christ uh, through the equipping that has come through preaching and teaching and discipleship and shepherding. So what does verse 12 envision with respect to leaders? Leaders are given by Christ to equip the saints so that the saints can carry out the work of ministry and service. They're to lead God's people, shepherd God's people, disciple God's people, teach God's people, and equip God's people. The growth, the maturity, the equipping of believers is a top-level priority for pastors. The very purpose God has given them to the churches so that they will help believers grow in the faith and mature so that they will be equipped to serve the body of Christ. Now, how do leaders equip the saints? Well, through just about everything they do, through preaching, through teaching, through pastoral oversight and counsel, through Bible studies, through small groups, through one-on-one discipleship, through casting vision and setting direction for the church, 
through the selection of songs for gathered worship. That's equipping. Through training and raising up future leaders, through providing a godly example of life and character. We should view our gathered worship services, brothers and sisters, as equipping. We should view small groups as equipping. We should view Bible classes as equipping. We should view prayer meetings as equipping. I hope that that you came here tonight with a sense that I'm coming to be equipped for the work of ministry. I'm coming to be prepared. I'm coming to be armed with the ability to serve the body of Christ. When we come to church to hear God's Word preach, we should think, I am coming to be equipped. I hope all of you know 2 Timothy 3.16. That all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Just a few verses later, Paul tells Timothy, this Word that equips the saints, you to preach it in season and out of season. Brothers and sisters, when you come into this place, you're coming to be equipped. And now on to the third point, and I'll be more brief here on the third and fourth points. We said that Christ gives leaders, so that leaders equip believers. Now thirdly, believers minister to the body. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Teaching, training, The equipping that believers receive is not meant to make them fat with truth. It's meant to equip them to minister and serve the body of Christ. The goal is an every member ministry in which believers are serving one another and working to use their gifts in the church for the building up of the body. And rather than that detracting or taking away from the ministries of pastors, I think it actually enhances it. Pastors are to preach and teach in such a way that believers actually mature to a point where they're prepared to serve and think outside themselves and bless the body of Christ. And so when you have a brother or sister in the church or a friend who, who maybe comes to you and says, you know, you know brother, I'm struggling um, appreciating that, that the Lord Jesus would forgive me. I feel so sinful and I feel like he's far off and there's no way he could forgive me. I'm just feeling down. Well, your response doesn't have to be, well, let me send him to the pastor. He's got a problem I can't deal with. Hopefully you've been equipped in such a way that you can say to that brother or sister, you know, brother, uh, uh, Christ does forgive you. He promises to forgive you. He says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with their father. Remember what Pastor so-and-so taught us in the sermon. We ought to be equipped with the knowledge that Christ does forgive. We can bless each other, brothers and sisters. We can serve each other. And I hope that, that in this context, we have our eyes open to the needs of the church. And that we would feel equipped and prepared to actually serve one another, to enter each other's lives, and to bless one another. That is the vision of Ephesians 4. Christ is giving these leaders. These leaders are equipping the body of Christ. And it's the body of Christ, the members, the believers, who are ministering one to another. It's an every-member ministry. And I hope, y'all, as we think about being the church, I hope that elevates your sense of ownership. Uh, uh, people, uh, I made a joke over in the class earlier that each one of us is church planters. That actually wasn't a joke. Some people will refer to me as the lead guy, as the church planter. But each one of you who are purposing to be part of the church, you're a church planter. And I hope you feel a sense of ownership. If this thing's going to float, if it's going to fly, if it's going to get off the ground, we need to be members of Christ's church who serve one another. That's what this is for us, what this is all about. And I hope rather than discouraging you, this encourages you to participate, to serve, to plug in, to find the ways in which you can serve the body of Christ. Y'all, we're meant to do something with the truth that we're given. We live in an age that's saturated with truth. On the way home, when I drive home tonight, I could podcast 
Uh, I could probably name for you a hundred faithful ministers of God's word that I could easily just pull up on my phone, hear a fantastic sermon, be blessed and edified. I mean, the Lord has just blessed us in this age in 21st century America with many great preachers, a lot of great books that come out, a lot of great podcasts that we can stream on our phones. Think of all the frightening things Jesus had to say while he was on earth to those who were given the law and the prophets and didn't do anything with them. John 3, he talks about uh, John the Baptist who came and you were, excuse me, John 5, when John the Baptist came and you, you were content to, to sit under the glow of his light for a time, but you don't believe my words. Uh, Jesus had stern words to say to those who were given teachers and prophets and leaders and, and John the Baptist and, and others and yet rejected those people and did nothing with the truth that they were given. And I imagine that Jesus will say something similar to people in our day and age who sit in pews like these and go from church to church and podcast to podcast and, and listen to good preaching here and there and all over the place and do nothing with that truth and rather act like some sort of uh, fat, retired millionaire in Napa Valley who's going around tasting wine from vineyard to vineyard. That's not what the Lord Jesus wants for His people. We're not given the truth so that we can just bask in the glow of such good teaching but that we would take the truth, that it would be implanted deep in us, that it would shape and fashion us in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we'd get off our pew, get on our feet, and serve the body of Christ. And according to John 13, we would wash the saints' feet. That's the vision that the Lord Jesus has for His church. It's an every-member ministry. And any truth that's given to us, any good book you read, any good sermon that's preached, any good Bible study you sit in on, that's meant to equip you to be a more capable and, and sufficient disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, equipped to do every good work to the glory of the Lord Jesus. To whom much is given, brothers and sisters, much will be required. Do you have the truth? Have you been equipped? Have you been trained? Have you had godly pastors in your life? Godly men and women who have discipled you and encouraged you? Then don't sit on your hands. Let's get busy washing the saints' feet. Let's get busy serving the body of Christ, and let's stimulate one another in this work. We are equipped by our leaders, not so that we can bask in the glow of their gifts, but so that we can improve the gift that they are to us by serving the body of Christ. Now, fourthly and finally, we've seen that Christ gives leaders, seen that leaders equip believers, believers minister to the body of Christ, and now fourthly, we become full circle, the body grows into Christ. That could seem like awkward language. But let's look at the text again, verses 11 through 16. And I'll, I'll have to be quick here. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. What a beautiful, almost a poetic vision of what the church ought to be. We're to be striving for maturity as a body of believers. We're, we're growing up into our, our head, who is Christ. We're trying to attain to the, 
the fullness of the stature of the Lord Jesus. This is his vision for the church, that it would grow, that it would mature, that it would look more like Jesus day to day, week to week. And what I want you to appreciate, brothers and sisters, don't forget this series we're in. It's on the purposes of the church. There's some who will preach as though the only purpose of the church is to evangelize and to make converts. We're not just about making converts. We're about making disciples. We're about edifying the saints. We want to be about equipping believers. We want to be about those who are converted, those who are brought into the body of Christ, actually looking more like Jesus from day to day. And such that the church itself, corporately, would look more like the Lord Jesus from day to day. So much that could be said in this text, but I, I need to close my comments here. God is concerned with the ongoing maturation, growth of the body of Christ. He desires that we attain unity. We attain mature ma- manhood. But we attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And now in closing, I want to say something that's going to sound disconnected to what I've been preaching. Uh, but it's not. I want to say something about truth and love. Look again at verses 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And most of you who are here uh, have been tracking with us over some months. You, you, you might be very familiar with our theological statements. Some of you have been sitting in on the class down the hall where we've been going through our Constitution and our other documents. And uh, you might be very familiar with our doctrinal stances, our theology. And perhaps for some of you, that's what attracted you to this group. Uh, uh, it's theology that you can affirm. You identify it as the truth. And, and, and that may be part of the reason why you're among us. But don't be mistaken. The church is never built up in the truth alone. The church is to be built up in love. And I'll just be very candid with you all now, as, 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 as we've been talking over these months... Uh, I don't really have much anxiety for our group uh, thinking that doctrinal division is what could potentially divide us. My greatest anxiety is that we could fail in the area of love. The church could have great doctrine. It could have uh, peerless doctrinal statements. You could have wonderful sound preaching and teaching, but if it is not rooted in love, it's useless. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13? If I prophesy with the tongue of men and angels but don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm like sounding brass. I'm like a cymbal that's clanging. I'm just nothing at all. Y'all, we need to be about truth. And we need to be about love. And if we're going to be built up, if the Lord is going to achieve maturation in our church, the church is going to grow, if we're going to look more like the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to prioritize and pray for love in our church. Lord, give us love. Build us up in love. Unite us in love. Fill our church with practical expressions of brotherly love and affection. Will you give us the sort of love that actually builds up the body of Christ? Brothers and sisters, let's commit all this week and in the weeks ahead to pray that the Lord would build us up in love. That we would never lose our handle on the truth. That we would never minimize the importance of doctrine. That God would give us a healthy understanding of what it means to love one another and that the church is to be built up in love. Christ gives leaders. Those leaders equip believers in loving pastoral care and preaching. 
Those believers serve each other in love and the whole building is built up into Christ in love. For those of you who don't know the Lord, I hope something of what I've said has conveyed an attractive picture of what the church is. The church is glorious. The church is wonderful. And Christ is with His church, building up His church. And there is real love and real truth in the context of Christ's church. And I invite each one of you, if you don't know the Lord and you're not part of the church, and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no reason you can't be part of His church. As you can't be in this context, this environment, this entity that is built up in love. What a beautiful picture. You can have all of that if you would repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I invite you to do so tonight. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we say in the bottom of our hearts that your body, your bride is beautiful. Your your provision for her, your care for her, your gifts to her, the ways in which you grow her and mature her and bless her are beautiful to us. We thank you, Lord. So many of us can testify in our past of leaders that you've given to your church that have been such a blessing to us. And some of us have known leaders who, who were not blessings. Perhaps they weren't called or in, in some way were, were deficient. We pray that that would not sour us toward leadership, but that you would give each one of us a healthy and wonderful experience of what true leadership in the church could be like and what a gift it is. We pray that you would equip your people, each one of us here, to serve the body of Christ, to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters, and to seek to take the truth that's been planted in us and to use it uh, as, as mature disciples in the faith to bless one another. We pray, Lord, that you would build us up in love, that the foundations of Emmanuel Church would be the truth of your gospel, the truth of your word, and the love that ought to accord those things, that ought to accompany those things, the love that builds up the body of Christ. We pray that you would give that to us. And that we would begin to see more and more in our assembly practical expressions of love toward one another. Lord, we pray that each soul here would taste of the love of Christ and taste of the love of, of the church, would taste of the love of the fellowship of those who call in the name of the Lord, the fellowship of those who identify us as people. And may they taste something of the blessing of your body, of your bride, the church. Would you do it, we pray. In Jesus' name.